So I'm going to welcome Jonah Rapino back onto the Chillinois podcast, and I am going to say hi to Laura, who uh, is appearing for her first time on the Chillinois podcast. Go ahead and say hello, uh, the both of you. Hi, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Cole, so much for having us. I'm excited. I've been, as Jonah knows, listening. I think I listened probably to your very first podcast ever back in 2019 or something. So 2020. So really excited to be on. Yeah. And uh, really nice to be back in the show. Uh, this is Jonah. I'm the director of marketing for New Era. Yeah. And that show you're referring to was released on April 15th. 2019, which means we are approaching our birthday oh. of the Chil of the Chilinoy podcast. Happy so, birthday! That's yeah. awesome. Thanks, thanks for joining us ahead of that. Well, uh, Jonah, I know you may chime in from time to time, and if folks haven't listened to our episodes with you, I will have the links to those episodes in the podcast so that if they want to learn a little bit, um. Actually, Jonah, give yourself a short introduction, and then I want to have Laura. Uh, I want to hear Laura's backstory, and if people want to hear, you know, a little bit more about you, then they can check out this podcast. But I want okay. so they know who you are. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so yeah, Jonah, uh, director of marketing, and been with New Era for about uh, three years uh, here in Illinois. Uh, I originally uh, started in the cannabis industry in Massachusetts. Uh, working with a, a company out there called Revolutionary Clinics, not connected with Revolution, uh, but kind of cut my teeth out there, uh, had an amazing experience uh, in the medical um, program there, and then, you know, helped transition into recreational uh, in Massachusetts, and um, then since came to Illinois. And wow, Massachusetts has gone through uh, quite a change since then. I believe there's more dispensaries in this tiny state of Massachusetts than there are uh, you know, in the entirety of this massive state called Illinois. So quite a different scene. Uh, but <clears throat> here we are in the precipice of a, a, a major growth spurt here in Illinois. So it's exciting times. Yeah. You know, Cole, the thing that I would say is, you know, quite surprising and underwhelming for a marketing guy. Uh, Jonah never quite hypes himself up as much as he should. Uh, so uh, I, I tell people that when I say Jonah's a rock star, I mean it literally. Because before joining the wild world of cannabis, Jonah was literally a world touring musician for years and years and years. And uh, it, it's, uh, I don't know, I like to hype it up. I think that's it's so true. cool. Former life. I had a great time on the road playing music. And uh, yeah, experience. How many countries, how many countries did you go to, Jonah? Many, many countries. <laughs> uh, but actually, the thing I always like to say is I've been in all 48 lower states. Uh, on tour in a van. So I, I still need to hit Hawaii and Alaska. Um, and the goal would be to do it in a van still somehow. I don't know. Hawaii might be difficult, but we'll see. <laughs> the Ganja bus. Uh, <laughs> the Ganja bus, which we'll be uh, talking about later. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Laura, uh, thank you, Jonah, for reintroducing yourself again, folks. We've had Jonah on in the past. If you want to listen to those episodes, we'll have the links in the podcast description. Laura, I'm really excited uh, to have you on today, and I just wanted to start, uh, we, we spoke a little bit before we got on air, and it sounds like you have a very interesting backstory. Um, please, I, I'd love to hear how you made your way from Columbia, if I recall correctly, all the way to how you found yourself where you are today. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a really roundabout way. I definitely think everyone in cannabis always has. Not everyone, I guess some people have really been in cannabis their whole careers, but the great majority of us with this being a fairly new industry have a previous life somewhere else. Uh, but um, so going back to Colombia, actually, I grew up, I was born in Colombia, and I lived there until I was 14. And this is really the darkest, some of the darkest times in Colombian history, right? So I was a teenager uh, in the early um, when the late 90s, early 2000s, when Colombia was pretty much going, what was essentially a civil war, um, you know, drug fueled violence, cartels, you know, the FARC, guerrillas, etc. And so actually, my family moved to the US in 2001. Um, I was 14 at the time. And uh, we applied for asylum. It was very much a security situation. And, you know, my, my dad was threatened. It was a time where like my school bus had armed guards going to and from school. I had classmates whose siblings had been kidnapped. It was really um, a really painful and difficult time in Colombian history. My family moved to the US as refugees. We, we requested asylum when we showed up. And in some cosmically terrible timing, we actually moved to the US in July of 2001. And a couple months later, the September 11 attacks happened and kind of the whole world went upside down. Um, so, so yeah, I showed up in the U.S. age 14, didn't really speak English and, and kind of had to, uh, start over from scratch. And, um, and so because of that, um, because of that history of, uh, of what Colombia has gone through in the war of drugs, always very interested in, in this idea of drug reform and in this idea of how uh, the criminalization of drugs really has these incredibly violent and painful impacts for different communities. Um, and so always kind of intellectually interested, but not really directly involved. I started my career actually in the US in media. I worked um, for uh, uh, a sort of Latin American 60 minute style show. I was the executive producer for that show for a few years. And then I started, um, uh, I helped start uh, a small development company that would develop shows for um, big streamers. So like if you were going to develop a show for um, Netflix or Disney or Amazon, but you were looking to have Latin American audience or it wasn't Spanish, those were the things that we were working on. So I've been working that, on that for a few years. And actually it was a, a family connection that opened up that first opportunity to come work in cannabis. Um, my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband, his father and, and well, and really uh, along with him, he had really been some of the original players uh, here in Illinois. They had applied for some of the original medical licenses way back in 2014, 2015. So the first few years of the industry were much, you know, smaller, slower, really a program that was really finding its feet. And they'd been kind of running those for a couple of years. And in 2019, when the adult use law came into um, effect, or at least was announced that it was going to come into effect in 2020. It was like a everyone's hair is on fire, all hands on situation. Like, how are we going to handle this? What's going to happen and what's going to change? Like, we have this like really kind of small team, small company that's doing this. What do we need to do to to manage this transition? And I said, you know what? It's an all hands on deck situation. I'll come and help out for a couple of months. And here we are four years later. It just kind of sucked me in and never let me go. 
and let, never let me go again. So with New Era, I've gotten to see what has been a really an incredible period of transformation. Um, and so when I started, we were still New Med, only three dispensaries, and really was involved in everything that has happened since from you know, building up our team. I remember actually one of the very first things that I did was find Jonah because we didn't have any marketing person at all. I mean, to give you a sense, when I joined the company, we didn't have Google Maps listings. It's how basic things were. Growing the team, hiring a bunch, opening up all of our secondary locations, eventually acquiring that um, cultivation center in 2020 that used to be Pharmacans that became the New Era Cultivation Center, applying for a bunch of um, social equity licenses along with social equity partners, just like COVID, all of the turmoil that has been the last few years um, I've sort of been involved with. And ever since November, I've then taken on a CEO of the company. And so that's how we ended up here. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for going through all that. Um, I mean, I, I forgive me for assuming, uh, but was, cannabis a major part of your life like in Colombia and stuff I'm trying to see how you jumped from media to cannabis no uh, cannabis you know it's funny too and this is an interesting part of cannabis um, when we talk about how like the risk and how it, it, the, the risk kind of disproportionately impacts certain communities the truth is because I've always been on some sort of visa always been even even today I'm not a U.S. citizen I was always so terrified that I was going to get deported if I was anywhere near cannabis um, that I actually didn't even try it until I started working with the company, like on principle, always on board, just sort of philosophically, but it just, it always felt like the risk was too much and I had too much to lose. Uh, and so um, it just, you know, it, like I said, at first, when I first joined, it was very much like a, like, let's figure out this like huge business problem that we have. And then I've been really been introduced to the world of cannabis beyond that and sort of seen the impact it has on people's lives and really gotten to know a lot more of the culture around it and obviously gotten to experience it myself in very different ways and really grown to, to, to love and appreciate it from that perspective. But it wasn't you know, the the reason that I ended up here was never intended to be long-term and it wasn't like it is for a lot of people. It wasn't that I was passionate about cannabis itself when I started, right? It was um, it was just uh, a thing I believed kind of philosophically made sense from like a legal and, and societal perspective, but not really a, a, a personal preference at the time, right? Since then, of course, things have changed a lot, but yeah. Where did you live in Colombia? Not that I'm necessarily going to know. I only know one town in Colombia, and it's Medellin <laughs> or Medellin. Medellin, yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a town called Pereira. It's um, actually culturally and geographically pretty similar to Medellin. It's in the mountains. It's a coffee-growing region. It's maybe a four-hour drive from Medellin, but it's um, it's uh, the, you know, it's got that beautiful rolling hills, coffee kind of like mild weather situation that people have. Uh, grown to love from Colombia for sure. Yeah. Well, hey, I, we've got some really cool topics that I'm so glad that uh, I'm so excited rather to discuss, including the idea of home grow. Uh, I'd love for you to maybe take on some misconceptions uh, of the cannabis industry. But before we get into any of that, um, 
you're from New Era, and I um, and under the, I'm under the understanding that you've got new brands and everything. And so, out of respect uh, for that, I wanted to give you an opportunity to plug, you know, the relaunch. Um, it looks like there's a legacy brand. I don't know exactly what's going on. So the floor is yours. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So legacy, um, we, uh, so legacy is now what used to be the new era cultivation center. So back in November, the ownership group of the, of, of new era at the time decided to, to split the company. And so what was formerly the New Era Cultivation Center is now no longer associated with New Era. Ownership's no longer associated. They've become an independent cultivation center. That's the legacy. That's now what has become the legacy brand. And we, um, New Era continues to run all of our retail uh, cultivation. That being said, I think we really see the importance and um we see it as paramount that in order to be the best cannabis company we could be in the space, we have to be able to be bringing really top-notch product that 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 is, um, I think, consistent with division for what we want to bring to the market, that we could really offer something that is unique and that is um, ours. And so we've been working really hard to find a way that we could continue to bring new era brands. So we have actually a partnership with IESO. Uh, that we're really excited to announce. We've been working with them for months and months. We brought in a cultivator from California um, and uh, really a person that has truly decades of experience making a top notch, you know, absolute top shelf cannabis, um, uh, you know, of what you would come to expect from the California market, of course. And we've been working for months to improve operations. We're going to be bringing new strains, um, that are going to start hitting shelves really soon. And we really reached a deal where we're going to be reserving the very best quality uh, flour and uh, concentrates to be part of the new era brand. So we're going to be doing primarily high testing THC, really great bud structure, uh, indoor um, prioritizing indoor flour versus greenhouse because we think we can, that could really get you the sort of um, blood structure we're looking for. We're going to be focusing on only live extracts for that brand. So really the best stuff that's going to be coming out is going to be New Era brand. Um, some of it is going to be a little different from what people are used to from our brand because you know we won't be having some of the strains that we had before when we were at the um, Hillcrest Cultivation Center that is now Legacy. But I think we're bringing in some really um, really good product we're very excited about. So uh, yeah, it's going to be in shelves really soon. And um, I hope uh, you'll let us know what you think when you try it. In fact, it'll start hitting uh, the new era shelves uh, possibly later this week. So we kind of have mm -hmm. some sneak peeks on our new, um, <clears throat> new, new era coming to uh, our new era dispensaries around the state. And then we'll be offering that out to to other retailers in the very near future as well. Cool. Well, you may have heard it here first, folks. Um, check it Let's out. Drop. There you go. Well, uh, cool. Anything else to mention with regard uh, to the relaunch? I know, Jonah, you had also mentioned you wanted to talk about a Jamaica giveaway, so I wanted to make sure to mention that at the top. Um, but before we move to that, I wanted to – anything else with regard to relaunch and new stuff? Yeah. Laura, do you want to speak to the uh, Interstate 420 brand? Oh, you take it. Come on. Okay. Uh, so uh, as yeah. well as 
launching uh, the new New Era, uh, we've all are also going to be uh, introducing a new brand under our umbrella that's called Interstate uh, 420. We're encouraging people to take the highway uh, and take the uh, the trip that they're they're looking to take with our products. Uh, so this is a really kind of fun road themed um, experience. So we're going to be packaging up, um, you know, the best of our um, kind of greenhouse flower uh, in 3.5s and 7s. And we're going to be offering pre-roll multi-packs uh, and then other types of uh, vape carts. Um, so not your live resin uh, premium vape carts that are coming under the New Era brand, uh, but you're more uh, distillate with, you know, terpenes from, or actually sauce, sorry, we're going to be introducing uh, a really cool sauce part. So we're, we're pulling the, uh, the um, terpenes and, and things like that from the specific strains that we're using in that greenhouse flower and introducing it back on a really um, excellent way that I think is going to be very flavorful and very um, impactful as it were. Um, and then we're looking to also potentially do some concentrates under the I-420 um, brand as well. And then as a special thing that's going on right now, uh, since it's 420 times leading up to that, we have a product called Heavy Freight. So that is our kind of like uh, trucking theme for uh, Interstate 420. So we're packaging up ounces of flour. Uh, and this is really nice stuff. Um, and we just, right now have an abundance and we want to share it uh with everyone so we are we package that up and that's going out at 180 dollars pre-tax for ounces of flour right now that you can find um, at new era so definitely check out our menus for that uh and then you know keep your eyes peeled for a lot more fun uh products coming out of both new era and interstate 420. um and if i can plug two more products real quick um, under the uh, Interstate 420, we're also dabbling uh, with some edibles. So we have something we're calling the uh, Interstellar 420, uh, and it's space cakes. So we've put together a package of some really delicious brownies, which is oddly hard to find as an edible in Illinois. Uh, so we kind of took inspiration from the space cakes, uh, uh, which is you know famous in Amsterdam. Uh, as a very potent uh, brownie or baked good. Uh, so we've released that uh, as well for the kind of 420 celebrations. So you can find Space Cakes uh, at, under the Interstellar 420 moniker at Nuera as well. Will those be like, I don't even know if you can do this in Illinois, so feel free to be like, Cole, you can't even do that. Will they be like, <laughs> I know they can't be dosed higher than 100 milligrams, but what I'm asking is like, will like, are they like at higher dose? You said they're free, yeah. or are you just playing on the pun? We're playing on the pun. You know, it's kind of a nod to the history, you know, uh, of, you know, THC infused edibles coming out of, you know, Amsterdam's really the kind of the famous place where that really kicked off uh, worldwide, right? Uh, yeah. So we just took that moniker. You know, these are going to be 10 milligram brownie bites uh, packaged up um, uh, at five pieces per pack because we also want to make it available if you just want to get one and try it out. You don't have to spend all the money to get like, you know, the the full 100 milligram packs of so these are 50 milligram packs, but they're priced very, uh, very low. So, you know, if you want to get one to uh, one to 10, uh, please feel free. They're delicious. Honestly, you can't stop eating them, by the way. They're so good. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is that you just, um, 
he, I wish that we would sell them without uh, THC. So I could just keep eating them after I get the munchies with them. The They're really tip, good. They're really the good. And, uh, and, and go ahead. I was going to say the pro tip I will give to folks that are listening is just before you go and grab a brownie from the dispensary, also make a pan of brownies so that you can continue to eat brownies without, you know, you can always eat more, but you can eat less. That's what I always like to say. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. And the pro tip actually from one of our dispensary employees is like pop them in the microwave like 15 seconds and they get like really melty, like a, you know, like a, uh, just, it's great. Uh, Just do it, try it, maybe do a little ice cream with it. It's, yeah, it's really, and I think we have such few baked products and brownies in particular are such a classic item. Uh, And it's just one that there isn't a lot of options for in the market right it, there, there's not a lot of good baked goods and and so um we're excited to bring this on absolutely and um uh if you unless you don't have anything else to mention with regard to new products and brands uh well like i said jonah you mentioned the the jamaica giveaway which can we be candid about I you, you let's be candid about it. You asked if uh, you could speak on it, and I asked you a very. I was kind of like, yes, as long as the trip's covered, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so this is our second year uh, running this uh, giveaway competition for a trip to uh, Jamaica. So it's a ganja themed vacation package in Jamaica, uh, and this year we uh, got. The, uh, listen to the feedback, and we are offering round-trip airfare for two people as part of the grand prize. So you can win uh, this amazing uh, trip to Jamaica. Um, you know, you can enter online. You, if you go to the at New Era Cannabis Instagram account, uh, you can enter right there. Very easy. No purchase necessary. Just throw your name in there. Uh, and then the the other fun thing is that we have ways for people to earn extra entry points. Uh, and you can do that by coming to our store. Uh, we have uh, a way that you're going to get nine extra entry points if you come in and basically, you know, do this uh, fun kind of photo thing with us there. Uh, and that's that's huge because, you know, you get one entry point for entering, you know, two for tagging a friend. And then that extra nine comes in when you come hang out with our our uh, friend, our staff and friends at uh, New Era Dispensary in anywhere in Illinois. Um, and then, uh, you know, another thing to say, it's a partnership with uh, gondavacations.net. So they offer these vacation packages to, to anybody. You can go to their website. And in fact, you get 15% off of a trip there just by entering our competition, you know, say you don't win. Uh, so it's a really uh, excellent company and opportunity so basically you get picked up right from the airport. You're taken directly to an herb house, which is the legal dispensaries that are in Jamaica uh, to kind of check that out. And then you're brought down to the resort. So this is a resort that is uh, literally um, in the water, uh, like surrounded on three sides uh, by beautiful Jamaican water, uh, kind of south of Negril. Um, And you have a room that has an ocean view. There's breakfast included. And then there's a tour of a ganja farm as well that's also included. So you get to go to the very famous part of West Jamaica, Orange Hill, uh, which is just really known for the most top quality cannabis uh, in Jamaica. So we're just really excited to offer this again, uh, this 420 season. Uh, the, it's still possible to enter and the drawing will be 
at midnight on 420. Perfect. Well, Jonah, um, if you could send me a link to that post, we'll put it in the podcast description for the folks that are listening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, um, I'll send that to you. It's really easy. It's newerracannabis.com backslash uh, ganja vacations. I will oh, send that. Cool. Newera.com slash ganja vacations. You said yeah, with an S. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to it right now, folks. We'll also have the link oh, in the podcast description. I think I may have had a typo there. Um, Ganja Vacation. We'll have a link in the podcast description for you folks uh, so that you can enter to win uh, this prize. And uh, yeah, that was what I was alluding to, Jonah. Um, thank you for being candid about it. Um, I was like, we we can talk about it, but I want to make sure these people are flown out there. I don't want you know Absolutely. I don't want them to have to play for their flight. So this is the graphic uh, for folks that want to uh, check them out on Instagram. Uh, there's the graphic again. We'll have a link to enter in the podcast description. So, well, cool. Um, Someone's gonna win. <laughs> hell yeah, somebody's gonna go to Jamaica. If you win, folks, if you're a listener and you win, send us. Uh, send us you know pictures and stuff we'll we'll share it on the podcast it'd be cool to see what you see on the ganja tour and stuff like that so um well so i'm just looking at some notes that i took beforehand and i've been adding as uh as we talk i'm trying to think of maybe the best place to start off um well you talked about new cultivation centers i want to talk about how acquisitions work but uh, one of the other things that caught my ear, Jonah, last time we spoke is that you had considered the potential of using solar energy. And um, I wasn't sure, are, are, is that something we are able to discuss um, today or is it anything that's progressed? I can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, sure. I can talk about it a little bit. And and. Um, what I would say is that it's not something that has progressed enough that there's any like specific announcement to it. But one of the things, you know, that we as a company are concerned about and aware of when we think about the cannabis industry is actually its tremendous um, uh, environmental impact, right? It takes a lot of energy to grow cannabis in Illinois, where you're essentially growing it under like massive grow lights um, that consumes really high levels of energy. So one of the things that we're working on and thinking about as we grow our um, cultivation operations, et cetera, is how can we help mitigate some of that? And so one of the things that we're working on uh, is exploring the possibility of um, supporting, perhaps investing, perhaps partnering or, or just like supporting with like the local uh, authorities. It's just the, the expansion of um, solar options nearby, close enough to where we have cultivation operations that we could be using that energy directly in the cultivation centers. So yeah, it's, it's a very real issue. You know, right now the state is adamantly not allowing outdoor grow um, I think as far as I understand, and I'm not an expert, it's still caught up in the lawsuit. They had provided um, a permit to Nature's Grace, and I think they were the only ones that were given a permit to do an outdoor grow for a couple of years. And then they, the state um, took that uh, took that variance or that permit that they had to do that away. And they haven't 
uh, allowed any other cultivators to have outdoor grows. And so everything that we are uh, growing right now in the state is either grown in industrial indoor um, facilities or it's being grown in greenhouses, which are a little bit less energy efficient, but still um, quite supported with electric energy. So it's one one of the things that we're exploring and thinking about. Um, and, and sustainability is a problem for our industry. It's a problem not just at the grow level, it's a problem at the packaging level, for example. Um, Child-proof uh, packaging requires so much material and um, a lot of times the easiest way to make child-proof packaging is by using plastic. It's a lot harder uh, to find good recyclable or paper-based products that can be um, that could be that could meet all of the compliance requirements. So yeah, these are these are some of the things that we're thinking about as as we think about how to have a more sustainable company. Same with transportation, right? We have to there there isn't really a very efficient way to distribute product because it essentially has to be going always straight from the cultivation to the dispensaries. There aren't more centralized distribution centers that can, um, you know, let you do one big trip. Uh, and, and, and for example, if you're a cultivation center like Arise, which is very, very, very far away from Chicago and the majority of the uh, dispensaries in, in the state, which are all kind of concentrated in the Chicagoland area. And if you're like way in Southern Illinois or like Nature's Grace is also pretty far, those types of cultivators, they don't really have a very good way to transport the product without just essentially making a trip for every single um, delivery. And and that's not on them at all. It's just the way the regulation is written. You can't yeah. store product overnight anywhere else. You just have to make a trip every single time. So we're thinking about ways that we could be more efficient with all of those things um, and uh, our, you know, energy use all around. Awesome. Well, hey, I want to just to your point, let's share a clip that I've been trying to make more well known. It's about the the crazy regulations you as operators have to deal with uh, with regard to transport. It's just a three minute video. So let's watch it. And I think it's going to prove it's going to kind of emphasize your point. Um, so I'm going to share my screen and then we'll come right back to this topic. Whoops. Uh, yeah, I can't hear the audio. Yeah, sorry. I had the audio muted there. Thank you for catching me on that. Um, all right, here we go. Now, NBC5 investigates. Illinois has very tight rules for how cannabis can be transported and delivered. In fact, those rules are stricter than the federal guidelines for opioids, the most abused drug in America. Here's the story from Phil Rogers. Do we have more to grab? Yeah, yeah. We're at a distribution center for Cresco Labs in suburban Chicago. And what these workers are loading 3365. is one of the most tightly controlled cargoes in America. The cargo is legal cannabis, at least legal in the eyes of the state of Illinois. But the rules for how it's transported are spelled out in pages of state regulations. Security is aware of every shipment that goes out, where it's heading, what time they should arrive. That security actually starts all the way back when the cannabis plants are grown. Each plant receives its own barcoded number. And those numbers follow the plants and their products through processing here at Cresco's suburban facilities, all the way through packaging, transport, and delivery to dispensaries statewide. Correct. And we refer to it as seed to sale. 
Illinois law requires cannabis transporters to move their wares in vehicles where the products are locked tight in a separate compartment. Then there's a second set of locked doors outside. The trucks can't be marked, and at least one crew member has to stay in the vehicle at all times. What is this? This is our um, tracking software platform. Cresco's fleet is monitored in real time. Onboard cameras provide a view inside and outside the trucks, and GPS will alert the company if the truck tries to cross state lines. We know exactly where they're at at all times. But there's a bit of irony here. Remember, in the eyes of the federal government, cannabis is still illegal. But the Illinois guidelines for transporting pot are much stricter than the federal rules for moving much more dangerous drugs. It was very casual. Um, all of the product would go into my personal vehicle in a, just a standard Coleman cooler. Cresco's logistics manager, Joseph Franks, told us he used to work for a major hospital transporting everything from chemotherapy drugs to prescription painkillers. Where would it be in the car? It would be in my back seat. The DEA's position on moving even the most abused drugs in America, opioids like OxyContin, is that licensees are simply responsible for getting them where they are supposed to go. The federal regs say all applicants and registrants shall provide effective controls and procedures to guard against theft and diversion of controlled substances. We do have uh, millions and millions of controlled substances that are moved through the system, through the mail, through UPS, through FedEx. Former DEA agent Jack Teitelman now works as a consultant on compliance with drug regulations. If you decide that you know your your method of distribution is on the back of a bicycle and a, and a, on a backpack because that fits into that neighborhood and you've never had an issue, then that might be the correct way of, of making that delivery into that neighborhood. 2811. That is not the case with marijuana in Illinois. Illinois is the most heavily regulated state that we operate in. Heavily regulated and lucrative with nearly 1.8. That's now you're muted. Um, yeah, now I'm muted. Uh, that's basically it. I just wanted to prove your point that we're treating this like it's uranium. And so the overhead involved not only – I know we were kind of talking about ecological impact, but – you know, the reason I thought of that when you said ecological impact it was that very last point that you could deliver cannabis on a bicycle if you wanted to, or sorry, uh, opioids on a bicycle if you wanted to, um, which I thought was so, striking. Yeah, and here's a funny, and here's a funny um, way to think about it. So, or not that funny, I guess, depending how you think about it. We're working with AISO now for the distribution of our products. You can't have product on the road earlier than a certain time. I think there's 4 a.m. or something like that. And you can't store it overnight anywhere. And so if you think about product that needs to leave from the ISO facility all the way down Carbondale, and it needs to make it to Maple Glen in Rockford, and that's a nine-hour drive, you're doing most of that time. It's just like that entire drive. And so you can't bring enough product that you're going to be doing lots of delivery. So you're having what's essentially an 18 hour round trip with two people in the car tracked with all the cam cameras, et cetera, just to deliver a very small amount of product. It's inefficient, not just from a sustainable perspective, but it's inefficient cost wise. And so, you know, there's lots of reasons that make cannabis so expensive in Illinois. Obviously one of them is competition. And I think that's one that, consumers focus a lot on, but the regulatory structure that we deal with makes it so that operations are extremely expensive. Uh, sometimes 
regulations are great and they're for the protection of the consumer and for the protection of the public. But sometimes, you know, some of them are not entirely logical and it's hard, right? So ISOs actually happens to be next to one of the largest uh, flight schools in America. And it's actually right next door to um, a, an airport. And one of the questions that they asked way at the beginning of this uh, uh, was can we transport it by plane? But airspace is federally regulated, and so that's a big uh, that's a big no no. Although of course it would be much safer and like much uh, fewer possibilities of there being issues along the way. But uh, yeah, tr transportation is is an issue, and and one of the ironic things is the state issued a bunch of transportation licenses, two hundred and some transportation licenses, and those social equity operators are really struggling. They spent, you know, I've worked and met many of them my time working with new era i've spent a lot of time working with social equity applicants licensees and essentially they spend a lot of time a lot of money as you know if you've been following what's happened in our state um waited for years to all these lawsuits to get figured out and and they they, they got transportation licenses and there really isn't a very good use case for them we don't have delivery uh, we don't have any ability to do kind of distribution centers as I've discussed. And so a lot of people I know have spent a lot of their money and time and sweat and tears working for these licenses. And there's really very little that they can do with them. Um, it's just because of the way that, that that the regulations are set up right now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, um, in the spirit of, uh, you know, cutting costs and everything i i was going to bring up the the topic of outdoor cultivation because i've heard about that as well um so you're saying that as far as you know that people aren't branded this variance anymore um i i have heard directly from the department of agriculture that they are absolutely not doing outdoor um outdoor grow permits right now um and I believe the claim is that the the uh, CRTA, the law that governs how we grow cannabis, doesn't allow it. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly sure. what the language is, but I do know that they're not allowing outdoor grow anywhere in the state right now. Right. But you mentioned the that some operators had gotten a temporary variance. So it had happened in the past, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it happened in the past. I, I think... I don't know if there was one other cultivator. I know Nature's Grace uh, had a permit and they did a couple of seasons. I want to say maybe they got two outdoor seasons. As yeah. far as I understand, it needed to be all for extraction. You couldn't do smokable flower outdoors. Um, but uh, because of the definitions of how cultivation needs to be secured, the 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 department has decided not to issue any additional permits, including with them. So. Got it. Yeah. The reason I ask about that is because it seems not only would it be sustainable, but we were just talking about like needing capital and, you know, there's all these craft cultivators that have been trying to push for the 14,000 square feet, which is great. Like I supportive of that, but think about the overhead of an indoor cultivation facility versus that outdoor. And, you know, in a, in a time when these people need, capital it's it's interesting to hear that that was allowed in the past um and we we've even heard the perspective from employees that worked in those fields um and like you said uh from their perspective uh they were told it's only to be used for concentrates and edibles 
Um, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, like I was surprised to hear that. I was like, are you sure that that's happened? They're like, oh yeah, I'm sure I was in that field every, for three summers seen, in a row. <laughs> I've seen pictures. I've seen, I, I didn't see it myself. I've seen pictures of it. It a hundred percent happened and it, it's not happening anymore. Um, I, I think some of the concerns from the state, um, and this is just something I heard in conversation with a state regulator concerns include just pesticides and contamination from nearby fields. You can't really uh, contain it, which brings us to another topic, which has to do with the testing standards in Illinois, which are uh, probably some of the highest in the country. Um, When you think about, and you know, as we've been working with AISO to um, bring new cultivation practices to kind of upgrade some systems, to bring in strains, to do all these things so we can flower to market new era flower working with a californian i mean and this guy has got 30 years of experience he's done indoor outdoor you know he's done uh legal sort of legal uh pre (laughs) pre there being any legal this guy knows this stuff and um has worked in various states in the country etc and it's just shocked every time the testing comes back because the parts per million of specific contaminants or pesticides or, you know, mold or bacteria are so much lower than they are in other states. Um, and again, it, it goes back to like, what's your risk tolerance? Some regulation is excellent. We want to make sure people aren't getting moldy product or product with pesticides or product with solvents. But when the thresholds are so low, um, the result is product that people complain about. That's why a lot of Illinois product has to be remediated, or that's why it's too dry, because you really have to dry it to make sure that you're, you know, not failing testing. The testing is a huge part of what you have to think about day in, day out as a cultivator. And the standards are influencing every decision about the product that you're seeing on the shelves. And the testing standards are far stricter than most other legal markets in the country. The way I think about it is uh, Colorado. So a product that is grown and sold and enjoyed and is safe in Colorado for 90% of the time would fail testing in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's just the easiest way to think about it. It just doesn't make any sense. If it works in Colorado, it's safe. Then why can't we have a similar uh, standards here in Illinois, because we then would have much fresher, much moister, and a lot more variety. You know what I mean? Because you have to whittle it down to specific strains that are going to be able to survive that reg. You know that that lab process that's so strict in uh, in Illinois. So it's actually keeping Illinois from having a larger diversity of strains. So, yeah, well, and it affects your like dry that. cure process. It affects your dry cure process. It leads some cultivators to use things like ozone and things of that nature. And, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a biochemist and I'm not, I, I don't have opinions about how safe is safe and whether our product ends up being safer than what you might see in Colorado. I, I don't, I, I don't have an opinion on that. I don't know, but I do know that those testing standards affect the cultivation practices and affect ultimately the, the the look and feel and the quality of product that consumers are getting on the shelves. Yeah. I mean, many people say, uh, including myself, that you, you get some 
weed from a dispensary and it doesn't matter really from who um it's dry it's just really dry you know and um it is very 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 difficult to pass your you know like mold and microbial testing if you don't control your humidity to an extreme uh and so that's why that's a lot of the reasons why your product is much drier than you would find in California and you were finding in Colorado because their products, if you tested them here, they would fail. And, and you know, you see it all the time. You'll have these beautiful entire batches of product that looks fantastic. That's turpy. That smells great. And it passes, it fails by a little bit and it just has to go to extraction. Um, so it's, it's one of the ways in which the, the rules that we're operating under end up influencing um, what, what consumers ultimately have access to. And how much do you think those rules play into cannab- like the Illinois cannabis market sort of being a CPG market? Because it's like you almost have to have those regulations as strict as they are if it must be CPG. It's like trying to put lettuce into a jar. Like, yeah, it's going to fucking mold, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I think you have a point there, but you're also going to find, you know, that there are always innovations and people who are dealing with the limitations, right? So you're, you're, you know, there's definitely some cultivators out there, uh, you know, who doesn't love Jenny Kush from a rise. It's like, it, you know, despite all the things that they have, hoops they have to jump, jump through. It's amazing. Revolution putting on some amazing flowers. I'll toot our own horn new era, especially under the new cultivation practices that we're putting in, in place. Very high quality flower. Um, it's not, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with the issues and we're, we're rising above and that's what we're going to have to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to package it, package it in something. Some of our products come in glass, some of them come to Mylar, you know what I mean? Um, and you know, we're just doing the best that we can and making a really, really great product. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be cool though, if we had deli style cannabis in Illinois, so you just smell it in a jar and then, and then it would lend itself to, I know I'd love to hear if you have any initiatives for sustainable packaging, because that's an important topic for me, but that would make it so that like speaking of Colorado, I've been able to go back to dispensaries I've traveled to and I've saved the container and they give me a discount. They're like, oh yeah, 15 bucks off. Cause you brought your container back. Now we don't have to use another container. It doesn't cost us money. You're, you know, we're helping the environment, that whole idea. Um, so that's why. Bucks I, off? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, so the, um, I brought that up because of the idea of sustainable packaging, obviously given the regulatory framework in Illinois, that's not possible. Um, uh, at least the idea of reusing it. Yeah. I mean, we emphasize using packaging that's recyclable, right? That's, that's about the best we can do in Illinois, you know, just cut down on the plastic uh, and try to do as much as, but you know, a lot of the pieces and parts that you have to use for child resistant are sometimes be plastic. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're, we're always experimenting, talking to, to new, um, you know, ancillary businesses, suppliers of different types of packaging. And we're always trying to optimize for, for, for cost, for look, for, for quality and for, uh, you know, if it's recyclable. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I think as a consumer, there's also some choices that you can make that make a big difference. But, you know, one of the the things is having your own battery and reusing that battery versus, you know, having disposables that every single batteries are a huge um, environmental impact, too. So that's, you know, 
certain there are certain things that are decisions you can make as a consumer to to try to lower the impact a little bit. But yeah, it's hard. Were there any other uh product misconceptions or any like just like general misunderstandings within the industry that uh you wanted to address i have one other one in mind but i just like wanted to give you the floor we kind of took on the stuff is too dry well kind of a result of the regulatory framework not that you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to offer the most freshest bud in the world right yeah um, you can't um so um any other thoughts with regard to kind of misconceptions hmm. I'm sure I'll think of 20 after uh, after we, yeah, we get off the goes. call. I can't I can't think of anything I'd highlight right now. What what else did you have in mind? Uh, before I get to that, did, you mentioned uh, like remediation, and we've actually talked to um, Willow Industries, and they don't do remediate. They say they don't do remediation anymore. They do kill steps. Do you guys have to employ remediation or kill steps at all? Um, it Honestly, sounds like you're familiar not- with it, so. I'm I'm not familiar enough with like the actual process of cultivation. I hadn't, or you know, it it's just not my strong suit. I, it's something that we'd have to talk to someone at the cultivation center. I'm not really sure what kill steps means. It sounds like honestly, the difference from the company's perspective, it sounded like a kill step is like integrated into your SOP versus remediation, where you're like, oh, our product failed. Now we have to remediate. Absolutely. Anyone, you know, the, the, it, obviously the absolute best way to deal with any testing issues is from the very moment that you make your clones, right? You don't want to make flour that has pests or has mold or has microbial issues and then try to fix that after the fact. It's nearly impossible. It's extremely expensive and it results in, if it, even if you can make it work, it results in bad product. So the way that we deal with it is just like, militant and constant review of our product at every step of the way very intense pest management uh, procedures at every level very intense environmental controls both during the grow during the cure phase area that's that's absolutely 100 percent um that's the correct way to deal with the testing issues uh as for remediation i think that will vary from cultivator to cultivator and i'm not even sure you know, I know that certain people will will um, do ozone or whatever it is, but that is not you know, something great. Is we talked about uh, getting an interview with our our friend uh, from California who's helping out us out of uh, our cultivation uh, partnership now. Yeah. So maybe we should try to we'll save that one uh, for when we can. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. more. That's yeah. definitely more in his field, pun intended. Yeah. Um, for sure, his cannabis field. Um, so. Uh, Cool. I will uh, <laughs> pin that one. Um, okay. So the other misconception that I had in mind doesn't necessarily have to do so much with policy. It's something, Jonah, I don't know if you'd be comfortable with talking, uh, like telling me the story you you heard, but you told me about uh, an interesting interaction that you had uh, with a club. Let's just say you're trying to par- do a partnership with a club and they were like, nah, we don't want to work with you because do you recall what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we, we can kind of make that a bridge into talking about seats and home grow. Um, so, you know, as the marketing guy, I'm always looking for, you know, more partnerships and working with, um, you know, cannabis curious people, cannabis connoisseurs, you know, people who are just involved and passionate uh, or want to learn more. 
about cannabis and you know one of my uh, locations you know found out about like a kind of a growers club and they're like hey we'd love to bring you over to our store say hi meet you like learn about what you guys do what you're passionate about maybe we can you know work together tell tell our network about you guys and what you do and you know you can share information about us and and they they were pretty receptive and met with them but then we're like well we feel a little uncomfortable because of what we've heard about your stance on home grow and and everyone at the shop was like we have a stance on home grow that's controversial they had no idea uh what they were talking about so you know that was kind of the issue and, and it's great that we could bring it up here so you know we could try to kind of clear the air as it were um about new era's stance on home grow uh and and one you know for me the best way to kind of talk about that is an experiment that we tried that failed uh, should i talk about that cole yeah so i please. was working with um you know the hillcrest uh, cultivation center when we when when we were involved there which we're not anymore but when we were uh we, you know we we were brainstorming about home grow uh and you know everyone out there obviously in the, in the cultivation, they all grow, you know, I've tried it out, you know, I'm a medical patient, um, you know, then people are passionate about doing it. And we're like, well, there doesn't seem to be a clear route yet for how we could sell our own seeds or anything else at our dispensaries for the strains that we make. We're still waiting for approval or a mechanism from the state to be able to do that, even though it's somehow kind of written into the primary rules and regulations way back in the day, there's never been a approved process for how you do that. So therefore, no, what I've seen is no cultivators made seeds available. So then we were like, well, how else can we attack this problem and make it more possible for people who are cannabis enthusiasts, medical patients who want access to seeds to grow? What if we partnered with seed growers in Illinois? So independent companies that are doing their own, you know, company, like, you know, they have these things available, they sell them online, there's all sorts of people that can get them, maybe we could partner with them and then make those seeds available at our stores. So for, you know, we can educate our medical customers, hey, you know, one of the huge advantages about being a medical patient in Illinois is that you can grow cannabis. Uh, and then here are some companies and some products that you could purchase for growing your own cannabis. And so we went down a, a whole long, you know, line of, uh, you know, activity, set it all up. And then we're like, all right, we, we approached our regulator because we always do that. We need to make sure that we're not crossing any line. Or we're not going to get in trouble for something. And they said, no, you're not allowed to do it. You have not been approved to sell other people's seeds in your dispensaries. And that was going to, I had actually been in touch with you because I was like, hey, I got big news. We're going to launch something. I want to launch it on the Chill Noise podcast first. Yeah. And then it turned out that we were unable to do it. So, you know, one, it would be, you know, we need a letter writing campaign. We need really something. We need every on all sides to be to contacting our regulators to say, this is crazy. Cultivators should be able to bring seeds and clones to the market. Uh, and then number two, I, I just, I'm hoping that, you know, this can be a way for us to clear the air with, with your potential listeners 
you know, New Era definitely is not opposed to homegrown. In fact, we were working on trying to make it more possible for more people to be involved in that activity of growing at home. Yeah. And in Thank fact, you. it's one of the things that we highlight when we talk to people about the benefits of, you know, getting a medical card is the ability to do a home grow um, is, is a big advantage. And, um, and, and we tell people that in our stores all the time, right? When we talk about the benefits of medical cards, uh, I think, you know, people worry that because we're also involved in cultivation, that would be a thing that, um, that would be seen as competition, but the truth is, you know, because people grow tomatoes in their yard or in their, you know, balcony doesn't mean that supermarkets go out of business because they also sell tomatoes. We see it as complementary, um, and uh, and we think that um, that having greater access for that will be good for the industry overall. I love that you used the example of tomatoes because I always also try to use that example. Um, oh, really? Yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, Laura, if you've not heard of it, I encourage you to search up the tomato model by Ed Rosenthal. He's a very famous cannabis uh, person, and it literally mm-hmm. makes the point that you just made, except uh, just a I'll share it actually here in just a moment just because it's relevant. Um, but Jonah, I wanted to provide a you know kind of uh, a perspective from the state that mirrors what you just said we asked the CROO uh, why aren't there seeds in dispensaries right and this is their answer I'm going to display it on the screen and if folks want to listen to this episode they can um, I asked Danielle who was then CROO about seeds and dispensaries and they said to CROO's knowledge there are no dispensaries selling seeds there would likely need to be a change to our seed-to-sale software, BioTrack, to allow for the movement of dynamic products like seeds. There's no requirement for medical licensees to supply seeds, which of course, right, but it sounds like there's a technical issue actually that's preventing it. And from what I've heard, not asking you to weigh in on this, but what I've heard is that the state is working on a contract with a new vendor potentially. Um the potential is a new vendor, but definitely I've heard there's a contract conversation going on and what it could involve is changes like this, uh, either to biotrack or delivered in a new potential solution. So yeah, and there's like a lot of easy fix. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And there are a lot of areas of the law where there are things that you can neither do nor not do because just the law doesn't say anything about the specifics of it. So the agencies, when they, you know, when you come to them and they're and you say, I oh, we would like to do X, the answer is the regulations did not give us the authority to, you know, allow that or not allow it. And so a lot of the times um, that's that's what you end up running into. But yeah. Um, so let me quickly read the uh, tomato model, which I think you are really going to love because it's like basically exactly what you said. Um, the model for cannabis legalization is already out there. It's tomatoes. More tomatoes are grown in America by home gardeners than are produced commercially, yet there is a robust commercial market for tomatoes and tomato products of all types, canned, vine-ripened, organic, sauces, soups, ketchup, etc. At the same time, small sp- Small-scale specialty cultivators do well selling their produce at farmers' markets and home gardeners with extra tomatoes 
share the bounty with their neighbors as gifts in trade or through informal sales. Cannabis could be handled in the same way. Commercial growers can thrive side by side with home and specialty cannabis cultivators. I also okay. think that that you know, and, and leaning into the metaphor a little bit, I, when I've grown tomatoes, it just has made me appreciate tomatoes more, right? Like it has made me more of a connoisseur. Like if I'm growing tomatoes at home, I'm like more excited about the rare, you know, heirloom tomato at the farmer's market that I've never seen before it's not like i'm only gonna eat my tomatoes and then i just don't care about other people's tomatoes type of thing so um uh, i agree it's 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 not it's also quite frankly a huge pain in the ass to grow cannabis it's a tremendous amount of work it takes a long time you have to have a lot of knowledge it's not like all of a sudden if you allow it 100 of consumers are just going to go grow their own plants the truth is it's too hard and it's too much work the majority of people won't a and b there's a tremendous amount of variety and product types that as producers were able to bring the consumers that they wouldn't be able to produce at home right so it doesn't matter if you have a really beautiful and healthy home grow if at some point you're looking for some really good quality rso or you'd like to try um, an edible or you're really feeling like you'd like to you know get some bubble hash these are not things that you can readily produce at home and so um those are always things that that are going to be coming through the channels of the licensed producers um so really quick just again in the spirit of clearing the air i want to discuss where people may have been coming from and uh luckily i just spoke to the executive director of the cbai so i really am going to be able to clear the air on this issue um, first of all, New Era is a member of CBAI, the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois. And the experience that you had, Jonah, came, I would guess, from this article, which is a 2000, an article written in 2019. And it's the headline, we'll have it in the link in the podcast description, um, is medical marijuana growers are lobbying for licenses that also would allow them to control the supply of recreational pot in Illinois. And it talks about the Medical Cannabis Alliance of Illinois, which ended up becoming the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois, um, and the executive director, uh, former Senator Pamela Altoff, who I just spoke to, uh, is the head of that. And at the very bottom of this article, which talks about mainly licensing, um, which we can talk about maybe later, uh, but uh, since we're talking about home grow and we wanted to clear the air on this, this is the paragraph most people point to. Uh, There's a paragraph in this article that says, in addition to licensed growers, there's also a question of whether and how much people will be allowed to grow at home. A previous bill proposed five plants per home, which licensed growers and law enforcement oppose. That's the line that people draw to CBAI. And I asked CBAI about this, and Pamela said that as an organization, they do not have a stance, which I suppose I – Look, I'm not going to try to prove whether or not that's true or false. What I can say is that members of the organization definitely have taken a stance in the past, which is to oppose. So I'm glad to have gotten you on the record as a supporter, and thank you for clearing the air. Um, I guess the last thing I'll ask uh, on this topic, and because nothing exists, um, you know, don't consider this a litmus test. Nothing exists. So my question is entirely hypothetical, but- 
if there were to be a measure that was introduced that would allow all adults to grow at home, um, would it be far-fetched to maybe see New Era put some lobbying dollars behind uh, whoever's sponsoring that bill? Uh, so that, because I, the reason I asked that is because I asked Pam, you know, she was trying to, she was trying to say, look, we don't have a stance on the organization. I was like, but wouldn't it be if you, if these companies are trying to get brand loyalty, what better way to do it than to be, than to lead the charge and say, Hey, as a cannabis company, I made sure that the criminalization of cannabis came to an end. I feel like that's such a powerful statement to be able to say as a cannabis operator, you know, mm-hmm. that home grow for all is a thing nobody can say that Mm -hmm. i I appreciate the question i I guess that the answer to a hypothetical like that it's hard the truth is that i'm aware of we're not actively putting lobbying dollars into any particular measure so like would the organization do it i i don't know um i think we would support it um it's just generally not how we've operated, but but we would not oppose it. We would be excited to support the idea that people should be able to grow. And and let me say something, right? Like it's easy to say it as a hypothetical, you support it. We're a business. We're trying to make our business sustainable. If the measure was people at home can grow, you know, 300 plants and sell it and distribute it by bike to their closest friends, while at the same time, we're like subject to a bunch of other regulations, we probably wouldn't support that, right? Uh, if it's really cannabis for your personal use and at home, absolutely, absolutely. It just makes for a more vibrant cannabis um, culture and, and like you said, a full, a truly legalized market. And that would be great. Yeah. I understand the spirit and what you just said. I just want to say that, you know, the only reason, the only reason I slightly disagree with you is I just wish we could, because I, I agree, people should play by the rules and, and there should be, we should play by the same rules. There should be, you know, that I feel like that's the spirit of your question. Um, I just really hope that we stop dealing with cannabis as a criminal offense. I think we mm-hmm. should deal with it as uh, maybe like a business offense. Like, so if you were doing something like that, well, hey, you're not paying these regulatory fees. You're not paying taxes. You're not doing this, this, and this. And maybe if it rises to a level, you might find yourself in jail. But I hate that it seems like the first answer for any cannabis infraction is go to jail. It's like, hey, hold on. I thought we learned our lesson there. Yeah. You right, know? right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you won't see me disagree with that. Um, it's it, it, it's like any other business, right? It's mm-hmm. a, Yeah, I totally you know, get it. It's, you got to pay your uh employees by the book and you have to pay insurance and you have to pay taxes and like it's it's the same sort of thing but um but yeah absolutely like there's no reason that we would oppose that and you know and going back to what pam was saying at the end of the day i think she's probably right that most of the businesses don't have a strong stance on it either way because they're really focused on having a strong stance on the things that are really a lot more survival or life or death situations for that like license limitations (laughs) here's here's the thing that i'll say a hundred percent i am worried about as a as as a business operator in illinois and the truth of the day is like we run a business at the end of the day we're here and we're supposed to like economically and financially make it make sense if you ask me what am i worried about am i more worried about the rules around home grow or am i more worried about the sales taxes that we're paying uh, for, you know, that that consumers are charged in Illinois. 
absolutely my priority as a business person. How I feel personally is going to be different. But as a business person, we have to work on getting a tax situation that makes sense. We're seeing it already with Missouri, right? We, I, I believe I've heard through the grapevine, some of the Missouri border stores are down to selling 25% of what they used to sell. And of course, if you were within a short drive of Missouri, would you pay, I don't know, 40% effective tax rate? Or would you like drive 20 minutes and, and, and get product that is at a much more reasonable price? Uh, and I think that really hurts everybody in the industry in Illinois. It hurts consumers and it hurts business people. And it's going to hurt all the social equity licensees when they're up and running because it's very difficult to be competitive and to and to really, you know, um, be fair to consumers ultimately when you're you might be paying over 40 percent of tax in, 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 in sales tax for a purchase. Right. Yeah. I realize you have to set your prices to match the regulations you comply with, right? You can't cut off your nose to spite your face, but I just, you know, I was really happy to hear you got $180 ounces coming out because that's like relatively unheard of in Illinois from from at least my last, you know, check. Again, I don't shop often. I grow myself and and everything, but um I feel that taxes are definitely a valid point and you're absolutely right. Like one of the, just to add to your point, um, Illinois is one of the few states with a sliding scale of taxes that increases with the potency, which doesn't really make sense, but I'm not going to go there. Um, Hmm. I'm not going to go there just like, you know, we're not doing philosophy right now. Um, (laughs) But my thing is I feel like it's a little unfair to, to blame it up totally on taxes just because, again, I know you have to set the prices higher to meet and make sure you still make money and can comply with the regulations. But like I feel like it's, again, unfair to say that it's completely taxes because you'll see eighths priced at like $20 in Missouri right now, you know, and that's and that's without taxes. You're right. But it's like – the pro- the the product is already so cheap that I feel like we're kind of that's not really a fair comparison apples to oranges you know no absolutely I mean the the taxes are only one portion of of the equation a lot of it has to do with competition uh, you know as there's going to be more and more uh, more and more producers the prices will come down for everybody a lot of it has to do with the cost of complying with regulations right like your cost the more regulations there are the more expensive it is to operate and there's only there's only a certain voice that people point that people get right. to, but we're seeing it. We're seeing it in Illinois generally. I think prices are trending down over time, and you'll see it from us that we're really focused on being able to have some products that are, um, as we mentioned, with with our new um, heavy um, freight uh, offering. We we want to be able to provide options for people that make that makes sense. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I also think the comparison to, you know, Missouri is not necessarily, you know, completely valid as well. It's a different state, different regulations. It mm-hmm. costs a different amount of money to bring product to the market. You know what I mean? It's it's a separate case. Every state in, in uh, you know, United it's crazy. States, yeah, well, it's the other thing is separate. There's no standardization. You know? Yeah. And I think and one of the things that's going to that that I, I understand have started happening is also the demand is high in those, you know, those first 
months after legalization in any given state are such a crazy time period of like hyper growth and like demand far, far outstripping supply and like kind of like the, the market forces coming together. But I think, you know, I've, I've started to hear rumblings that there might be some flower shortages in Missouri for a little bit. And um, so we'll see what happens there overall. But the truth is, even if you got to a hyper competitive market with very cheap to produce cannabis like Michigan is. In Michigan, you can grow outdoors, literally just like out in a field with the sun providing all of your lights. The, the regulations are much easier. The, the licenses are much easier to get. So overall, the like starting prices are much, like the, 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 the price to operate is much lower and the competition is much higher. So the prices are low. But even if you're considering pretty low prices at any price point, if you have to add 40% on top of it at the end, that's going to make things um, literally almost twice as expensive, right? So um, I do I do think that that is going to continue playing a really big important part here. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. Um, you know, when you put it that way, forty percent is almost half. <laughs> so yeah, that's... it's it's insane. Yeah. Um, Okay, so thank you for for getting into that. I got one last kind of question on pricing, and then I'd like to talk about cultivation acquisitions and how all that works, and then maybe we can start to uh, wrap up the show. Um, I wanted to know, like, what <laughs> I have a feeling like everybody's just like watching each other, but like from an operator's perspective, like what is it? Oh, and I also wanted to say, Laura before I move on to this question, I apologize uh, for asking the question that I asked about committing lobbying dollars only because I now realize maybe you don't, you don't maybe hold the pocket purse for the company. And so you can't say today, <laughs> Hey, I, yeah, I'll put 20,000 behind that motherfucker. You know, like you can't necessarily <laughs> say that. So I wanted to just apologize in that vein uh, for asking that question, you know. No, it's your your killer journalist instincts. It's a good question. And uh, uh, absolutely. No, no apology necessary at all. Sure. Um, so uh, pricing, how does that like from I'm just curious to hear it from an operator's perspective. I've never really broached this subject before, but I feel like everybody's kind of like watching each other and, you know, to hear a hundred eighty dollar ounce of flour. I feel like that's going to perk up some ears. Am I right? Is everybody kind of like, is it, I just feel like everybody's like watching and they're like, Oh, that price just went down. We're going to go down too. You know, like, is that how it works? Or like, I mean, I, that's if, how all markets work. That's if you run a hot dog work. shop and there's a hot dog shop across the street and the hot dog shop across the street selling all their hot dogs for a dollar more and everyone's going to their store. Right. Yeah. Probably going to happen. Um, you know, that our heavy freight, that's definitely for the, the um, 420 holiday. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to continue to offer uh, the same price point forever, uh, but we were definitely really wanted to have uh, a really fun uh, offering uh, at that time. So that's, that's where yeah. you're getting that price from. And also look out for doorbuster discounts on that heavy freight yeah. uh, for 420 as well. So that price could, is potentially going to go even lower for the yeah. 420 holiday. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, okay. Yeah. sounds like it's just like every other business, like you say. I mean, um, I guess what I'm just trying to get a feel for, is it like, does it feel cutthroat? Does it feel intense? As a consumer, it feels slow going and it's like, when the fuck are the prices going to fall? You know? I mean, the other thing about it is, you know, if how about this solution? All the, all the cultivators get together and collude on what the price is supposed to be. Right. So that we're not fighting each other. We're like, let's just set the price. So it's fair for the consumers. Like that's illegal actually. Right. Yeah. That you is extremely illegal. Like talk to other companies and like come up with a price. Right. So it all, you know, I'm a market. Factor. I'm on this CBAI board and like as part of the board orientation, we get uh, like, I can't even remember. We might have had to sign something. We definitely, it's part of the bylaws. It's like, there will be no pricing conversations. You cannot collude on pricing. You cannot agree. Like, it's just, it's literally illegal. And so, uh, yeah, the, 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 the incentive when you're a business is always to be like, just a little bit cheaper than your competitors. So people will come to you, but not so much. So you're undercutting yourself. It's how it works. Right. So, um, but, um, but yeah, definitely people are watching what everyone else is doing. People aren't coordinating on pricing at all. Sure. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for weighing in. I was always curious to hear from a, you know, an operator's perspective what it, what it must be like. Um so yeah, the I know we kind of talked about it a few different ways, the the new cultivation acquisition, but can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Um, first of all, again, what happened, recapped it. Cause I get confused. You mentioned Hillcrest, but then you mentioned IESO, but more to the point, again, trying to give people a peek behind the curtain as to what you have to deal with. Um, I'd love to mm-hmm. talk about like the transition between cultivation centers, what it looks like, what it means, what it's required, but, um, yeah, let's talk about any, anything and everything with regard to that topic. Absolutely. To so, yeah. Um, so in terms of the separation, so Hillcrest, when I say Hillcrest, and this is something that perhaps is more my own internal, um, the way that I refer to it, Hillcrest is the town where it's located, um, but that's the cultivation center that is now Legacy. And so that cultivation center has had a long kind of history of transfers, I guess. It was originally licensed, I believe, to Pharmacan back back when the licenses were issued. It was a Pharmacan, and then there was some sort of deal um, between Pharmacan and uh, MedMen. And MedMen was supposed to acquire that cultivation center, but then MedMen really started having very serious financial issues. And this is back in you know, 2020. And, and, and that, that transfer, I, I don't know the details, but for some reason that transfer didn't materialize. And, um, and then that's when New Era back in 2020 then acquired that cultivation center from Pharmacan. Um, that Pharmacan has had at the time two cultivation centers. They also have one in Dwight, Illinois. So um, so they were, I guess, divesting from that particular asset. New Era acquired it. Um, and the separation of the retail assets from New Era in the cultivation assets from New Era really had, it was a business decision that had to do with, you know, different visions for the future of the company from the ownership. And they decided to go in different directions. And so... Um, we have been exploring, uh, as I mentioned earlier, really understanding the benefits and importance of vertical integration, really important, understanding the importance of being able to control your destiny a little bit, maybe have a say and have uh, control over the quality of products and the types of products that you're able to bring to market. All of that seemed really important. So we've been 
um, exploring different ways that we could become vertically integrated again. And so AISO seemed like a natural partner because they're a cultivation center that didn't have retail. And so um, they, as, as the, as the uh, industry has evolved and has changed over time, the importance of having that relationship is, um, is really, you know, has really grown over time uh, because often, as you can imagine, cultivation centers will prioritize their own brand's retail and their best product will go to them, et cetera. And so if you're on your, if you're on your own, it can be harder to get that like um, top selection and to really get, um, uh, to get priority. And so AISO was a natural partner for us. You know, they had the cultivation, we had the retail. So we've started working with the team, getting to know them, doing a bunch of due diligence and um, and have found a way that we can really work together to kind of bring each other's strengths, you know, give them um, the strength that comes from having retail. And then we can have the strength that comes from having access to their cultivation capacity, their excellent kitchen and extraction operations. Um, and uh, and bring in some expertise that we also had, having had experience that with cultivation and, and with brands for a while, and really inject that new uh, energy and new life and new procedures and new strains into the operations that were there before. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's how sort of how we're thinking about it. It just seemed like a really good match, um, and um, and it's something we've been working on for a while now and, and it's finally starting to become like a real thing that we can finally talk about and that that's finally going to start resulting in in products on shelves so um we're excited about that super cool um and i'm just curious are you able to, uh what do either of you know like i'm just curious to know about what the actual transition between cultivation centers looks like as uh like from the regulatory side like for example when you did the legacy thing or when you work with ie so like do you have to contact the illinois department of ag um the uh, the answer to that question is always yes <laughs> <laughs> meaning always we're in constant communication with regulators to be doing everything by the book i tell this to our employees too we're an extremely regulated industry we live and die by following the rules and everything that we do. And so any transfer of ownership and any license in Illinois needs to be approved by the appropriate regulators. So if you're talking cultivation or say like an infusion license, that's that's in the jurisdiction of the Department of Agriculture and they would have to approve that. If it is um, at the retail level, that would be the IDFPR, the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. So um, what the actual specifics of, of the process looks like, it usually takes multiple months for an approval of an ownership transfer. That's why when I talk about what we're doing with AISO right now, it's right now it's a partnership. It's a, it's a collaboration. The ownership of AISO remains with AISO at this time oh, okay. until, until a Department of Agriculture approval process has been completed. That process is essentially an extremely intense background check, right? The For any ownership in, in any cannabis license in Illinois, all of the owners have to submit fingerprints and all of the entities need to be disclosed in all of the, um, the background. And there's various rules about what 
who is or is not eligible for cannabis licensing. So, you know, to give an example, there are certain criminal offenses that would preclude you from owning um, any part of a cultivation center. Or if you have been active in another state where your license was revoked because you broke the rules, you might be precluded from having a cultivation center. So there's a whole lot, there's a whole set of like vetting that happens at the state level and that could take months. Um, and you've seen it with other acquisitions and changes that have been announced. Like how long ago did, I don't know, Cresco and Columbia right. Care announce that, but it, it just takes a while to jump through the regulatory and then the financing hoops that takes to like finalize a transaction like that. Yeah. I, f I figure it's a lot of paperwork, but does the state like walk you through it? I'm just curious, like what your experience with is like, is like with the state, you know, because there's a um, lot of talk about standardizing things right now, you know? So, yeah, I think that they're working really hard on that. I mean, one of the things that's hard for these agencies is they're actually pretty small agencies and it's a small amount of people trying to do a lot um, especially with so many new licenses coming online and all of the needs for attention and time and work that that generates. And so I think there's a pretty short-staffed, very like well-intentioned group of people trying to contend with a pretty complicated set of rules, right? Um, so things can be a little bit hard to navigate sometimes as an operator and certainly anyone that has been licenses uh, can attest to that. Like it, it could be a little bit hard to navigate, but I do think that they are, in my experience, certainly, and, and I was just in Springfield meeting with some regulators last week, that that their intention is to help you navigate the process and make sure that it's all by the book, but, I, you know, but certainly not to um, complicate intentionally or slow things down. And there is definitely talk a lot in, in, in the department of standardizing certain processes, including the ownership transfer uh, type of thing. Yeah. Um, so obviously your goal is to not get your hands slapped. Um, right. So that's why you go to them and ask about things like seeds and the cultivation center transfer, but not to get into specifics, I'm not asking you to tell me if you've gotten your hands slapped, but do like, I'm at, what I'm asking is, is do the regulators kind of rely on you to reach out to them or do you, do they ever kind of, do they have like a regular meeting with you or do they check in? Oh like, my hey. goodness. And that's, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about when we talk about like how, what it costs to produce things. Yeah. So uh, we do have a cultivation facility in Michigan. Um, and I was very involved in setting up that cultivation facility and have seen and experienced firsthand the difference. So I'll give you a sense, Cole, of like the type of regulatory um, burden and compliance and rules that we have in Illinois versus other states. When we opened our facility in Michigan, you have two inspections a year. Your very first inspection, meaning no inspector has been there ever. It's the very first time you're going to be issued your license was over FaceTime. They didn't even show up, right? Like you were just like walking them around and we're like, oh, here's our camera. Here's this, here's that. Very simple, very quick, easy rules. Um, in Illinois, a cultivation facility is inspected once a week. Every single week you have an inspection, multi-hour uh, inspections, every aspect of your operations. Uh, when you're an operator uh, at the retail or the cultivation level, you have a very close relationship with your inspector and you're in constant communication with them, right? We had our, um, because of the weather, we had a power outage yesterday in in our Chicago store. Immediately, the very 
first thing that you do is you called your inspector and you said, hey, we have a power outage. We have to close. We can't be open because the Wi-Fi is down, the, whatever it is. You're going to open, you know, half an hour late. You're going to close. You're going to move the location of a cabinet. Your Anything that you do in your stores is um, is A, subject to the regulation of your agencies that oversee you. And B, we're, like, we're constantly keeping a, an open channel of communication, like total transparency on that. Um, and I tell this my because sometimes, of course, my employees, you know, a lot of these rules make our stores not very fun. Like, you know, I hate that so many stores in Illinois feel like going to, you know, renew your driver's license, DMV. You know, it's just like very staid. And I wish we could show product. And, you know, you wish that you could have more interesting events. And you really could provide. Like I wish that our windows were not all blocked off. So it just like feels so jail like who wish I could have like huge, beautiful store windows and like product on display and I could let you smell things. Um, and so that can be often be a frustration for our employees who just like keep pushing. It's like, well, why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And the truth is we live and die by regulation, right? We're an extremely regulated industry. The risk of having your license, um, disciplined or suspended or revoked is literally life or death. And so um, you just, you have to be extremely careful with following every single rule. And, and, and people that have pushed that boundary in other states and, and maybe in Illinois have found that's a really, there's a really high price to pay to not following the rules. Absolutely. Um. Well, thank you for getting into all of that because it's something that, frankly, I don't know about, and it's very interesting to hear the differences, you know, yeah. between the states. When you think about like corporate overhead in terms of the amount of like rules and making sure that every process is following the rules that it takes when you have a three or four hour inspection every week versus an inspection twice a year via FaceTime, like think about the man hours. Uh, of, of of people that are just like literally focusing on making sure that this goes perfectly every time, right? It's it's expensive, um, and and it's incredibly important, right? Uh, but but honestly, I also think that's one of the reasons we have had um, very, I would say, yeah, I, this is complicated. In in Illinois, we have an industry that that's you know very highly regulated and that creates a, a lot of issues but also you know I, I feel like it's the optimist in me at the end of the day it's just like yeah it's extremely frustrating but like you could be indiana so you know indiana uh, like and I, also, I just... let me butt in and also you know it it really makes it so that you know that the product that you're purchasing from a dispensary is absolutely as safe as it can possibly be right you know and i mean? think about this i think about this a lot in in you know when we had the scandal with the vapes a couple of years ago with like the, the the solvents and stuff and i think about it when i see some of the delta eight shops and some of these it's just Honestly, that is stuff that you're putting straight into your lungs. Like we're not saying it's like, well, you know, you're, you know, there might be, maybe you buy a pair of shoes and there might be some solvents in your shoes. And like, that's probably not great for you, but like, no, this is, this is stuff that you're putting in your body and you're putting it in the way, like 
the most like direct, like you're basically like putting it straight into your bloodstream and straight into your brain pretty much. And it's, um, it is, you know, it's frustrating uh, that it feels like there's so many rules, but my God, we need them. Right. It's, it's, it's a safety concern. It's, it's, I mean, um, who, who it's how you can what, feel safe. Who yeah. knows what processes they're using for these Delta 8 products. You know what I mean? Some might be amazingly, perfectly wonderful, clean, like, but you know, you could have other people who are just like using whatever heavy metals, pesticides, like it's just, it's completely unregulated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, that's why for me, I'm, you know, if you are not able to be a medical patient and home grow in the state of Illinois, and you want to be here, go to your, you go to your actual dispensary. Don't go yeah. to the Delta eight because you know that it's all of our stuff is above the board. It's completely tested and there's nothing funny going on, which potentially could be happening from yeah. your street dealer, <laughs> from your Delta eight shop, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, it's some pretty nasty stuff that could be, especially on things like vape products, for example. So um, yeah, it's, um, it's ultimately, it, it makes it so that, I think when you go to Canada's dispensary in Illinois, you can feel very safe that you know exactly what you're getting, where it came from, and what's in it. Um, truly, and and it's you know a, as a consumer, I think that gives me peace of mind. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'd love to maybe close on the topic of social equity, which are my transition that I'll make to that topic is like. The Delta eight thing is definitely, like you say, I would never, I would not touch that with a 10 foot stick. Um, Although I, it's kind of funny that I say stick. I think we had one time a company at the beginning of the Delta eight boom. I think they were like high stick or something. And they came on and tried to tell me about Delta eight. And I was like, it's what you, what? Um, But yeah, uh, don't touch that people. Uh, Definitely don't touch that. Um, to the point of street dealers and stuff, uh, that the, you run the same risk. I will just say that, you know, I wish, and I know I've kind of already made this point, and this is how I'll set, segue to social equity, but I wish there was a a route from legacy to legit, let's say, um, that that existed in Illinois, because frankly, you know, our social equity program is, um, you know, it it gave priority to people that lived in DIAs uh, that were, you know, affected, were able to prove that they were affected by the war on drugs, um, or uh, there are some other variables that they've since added. Um, It just feels, though, that it's like they're like golden tickets because they're limited, you know? It's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pay restitution to what we've done as a society, right? We're going to do this social equity thing but we're only going to give a a few people the chance that's what it really feels like and um so i guess the reason i even bring that up is because again i think that some people would love to be legal and would love to be able to say hey i've tested that this has been tested by all the same laboratories that test the biggest companies in the goddamn united states and i did it myself Mm -hmm. i'm a small company but you know with the way that it was even structured. So like regulations aside, 
I'm because the regulations are such overhead, like Mm -hmm. an extravagant overhead that is hard to pay for and comply with. Right. But just to get the license itself, like I know that they've lowered the fees, but the very first lottery you could submit, I believe, an unlimited number of applications. So people that could pay more had a better chance of winning because they submitted more applications. And I know you see that, that in the results there are people that got like 15, right? It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Well, in yeah, most, sure. it seems most of the, um, we've covered this on the show in the past. And if I can remember too, I'll try to put links from reporting uh, by grown in, but it seems like most of the new licensees uh, or at least people that were granted licenses, conditional licenses at the time had ties to either existing operators or people that were just really well connected, you know, and it begs the question, Mm -hmm. was this what we meant by social equity? I'm not saying these people weren't affected by the war on drugs. And that's why I have to be a little careful with this. I'm not trying to say that you're not, you weren't really affected. I'm not saying that I'm saying maybe the, the limit that we've set like, I don't know. It seems like it's uh, achieving the opposite effect, you know, especially mm-hmm. because we deal with cannabis with the criminal, the criminal branch of the government, you know, the, so, um, sorry, that's just me getting on my soapbox. Um, do you have any thoughts about license limitations? That's another thing that's actually, that's actually the main point of that article earlier, by the way, you know, most people take away the home grow part of this article, but the main point of this article is talking about how, um, you know, there were originally the law, um, eh, sorry, let me just back up here a second. So again, the headline is medical marijuana Cole. grows. Um, so, so Cole, I'm so, so sorry. I'm going to have to run a little bit earlier. I leave you guys with Jonah, who's awesome. And, um, and you can kind of like wrap it up. I, I hope I, I have this meeting. I hope it's something we can talk about at the next interview. Hopefully, yes. uh, if you'll have us again, but, um, there is this, um, there is a TV show that's getting produced about the cannabis industry and, um, they don't know yet when it's getting made, they're sort of in the early, uh, development phases and they just wanted to talk to, uh, people in different states, they're like in the research phase, but um, it's looking like they it's, it's becoming real. So hopefully that's something that we'll we'll see sometime soon, and I think would be exciting to uh, to talk to you guys about. So um, this has been such an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the time. I hope I didn't say anything to get myself in trouble, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's uh, it, it's it's great to be able to talk about some of the the misconceptions in the industry, and uh, really appreciate what you do for for all of the the Illinois cannabis community. Yeah, I appreciate your time, the knowledge you imparted, and your candor today. Look forward to the next time we speak. So, awesome. Talk soon. Yeah, Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. So, so Jonah, we'll wrap this up here, but it's it's. I think it'd be good to clear the air on this topic as well. Um, and thanks for hooking us up with Laura. That that's uh, anyway. I will echo what she said earlier. As far as marketing goes, man, you're a rock star from my perspective because you're one of the few companies that are willing to talk about these topics candidly. And I'd like to think that you're rewarded for it. Uh, like I say, with with brand loyalty, because I I know that my listeners respect the because frankly, not a lot of people are willing. Not a lot of people that are licensed are willing to talk about these subjects. So thanks, Joe. Yeah, and thank you for the opportunity and the platform. Yeah. So um, 
just really quick, we can clear the air on this and just give a little bit of history. You know, um, this this article for folks that don't know, um, it talks about the formation of CBAI and um, at the time they said the aim was to limit cultivation licenses being issued to competitors if pot was legalized. Um, and so uh, Pamela Altoff at the time, and I asked her about this quote, so if folks want to see how she responds, you can see it. Um, but she said at the time, my organization believes they have the current capacity to meet the demand uh, until we see substantive data that indicates differently. We support no new cultivation licenses. And that position was undermined by findings of an ongoing uh, commission uh, sorry, ongoing study commissioned by state lawmakers, right? And the study showed that demand would quickly outstrip uh, supply in Illinois, which happens, as Laura mentioned earlier, you know, at the beginning of uh, any adult use thing, uh, at, the, at the beginning of any uh, launch of a, an adult use market. Sorry, I'm having trouble speaking here. Um yep. So the study suggested licensing more growers, including allowing existing dispensaries to begin growing the product since they have already been vetted and authorized by the state to handle the drug. You guys, right? Um, so it suggested licensing more, but still also giving you, uh, you know, current licensed people the ability to uh, just get going, right? And so, like I said, it just seemed the CBAI uh, opposed new licenses. One cultivator, I'm looking for the quote here. Um, I believe it's a former, yeah, former CEO of Revolution Enterprises, Mark D'Souza, actually said, you know, look, I welcome competition as long as it maintains current testing, which is something you guys were just saying, um, to ensure truth in labeling with contaminants below maximum allowed limits and weekly random checks by regulators. Um, so I'm just curious yeah. I, if you're able to speak, what, what is, do you know what new era's stance is on licensing and competition and stuff like that? Um, we don't have an internal published stance as the company. So I'm not going to speak for the entire company. I will speak as the director of marketing though for the company on my opinion on that. Um, which is the more the merrier. I mean, look at craft products in the liquor industry, right? It hasn't killed cores to have Sam Adams, right? So I see it the same way in the, uh, in the cannabis industry. Let's have craft. That's great. And, and let's, you know, let's really launch that in a, in a way that is sustainable because I know there's a lot of problems with the current craft regulations in Illinois. So once again, look at other states, work with other states, see what they've done to be successful and do it that way and not just try to reinvent the wheel in your own weird Illinois ways is the thing that I've seen has been seemingly an impediment. But, you know, because I, I would say, yes, we're standing with what that former CEO of Revolution said. It's like, as long as everyone's subject to the same regulations, then, then they should be able to if possible, raise the funds, fly for the licenses, and do it in a way that's going to be possible for them to actually make a profit. You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I, I love craft beer. I love craft uh, liquors. I love craft cannabis. You know, I've tried it in many other places, and I hope that that the same is going to come to Illinois and as fast as possible. Yeah. 
Well, um, hey, we covered a lot of ground today. Sure did. Um, is there anything you feel um, that we that we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure to mention? I mean, you know me, I'm the marketing guy, so I'll keep I'll keep plugging away for, yeah, for my uh, my stuff. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I'd love to just make sure that we can continue the conversation on all all sorts of these things that we started getting into. Would love to uh, see if we can connect you with our our grow consultant uh, to talk about some of like, his perspective on coming from California into Illinois and those differences. You know, it'd be great to talk to Laura again just about like what is it like to run a cannabis company you know it's like really fascinating like she's an amazing person and she's had such an incredible journey and to now be in this position is 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 amazing so it would be fun to to continue the conversation uh with you uh further down the road uh and then like i said a couple more plugs uh you know with 420 coming up we are launching new brands uh you know all sorts of fun things uh, to really celebrate the cannabis holiday, we are going to have events at our dispensaries on 420 at every single one of our uh, locations in the parking lot. We're going to have free food. We're going to be raffling off all sorts of prizes, penny samples. We have a bunch of door busters that we're going to be doing. Um, you know, it's going to be, we're spending a lot of time and energy trying to make something really fun and um, that you'll remember and an experience that you're going to love to have on 420. Um, our 420 deals start on 414. So 420 does not start on 420. It starts 414. So we're going to have up to 40% off of all sorts of amazing stuff. Um, and, you know, we just really want to have the best possible cannabis Christmas that we can. And the way that, New Era is able to really also, you know, set ourselves apart from the rest. Free trip to Jamaica. Let's say that again. Someone's going to win. <laughs> Someone won last year, which means someone's going to win this year, which means that could be you. Uh, so definitely come enter. You can you can check out everything on this page right here. Uh, there's a form below on uh, how to enter. And then you can also learn how you can get nine extra entry points. Uh, by coming into a uh, new era dispensary, uh, which really increases your chance uh, of winning. Very cool. There yeah. it is, folks. Uh, my apologies for butchering that link earlier. I realized what I did was I went to newera.com slash ganja vacations. The correct sure. link is neweracannabis.com slash ganja yeah. vacations. And it's possible you said that and that I was high and didn't type it correctly. <laughs> okay. But either way, we'll have it in the link for the podcast description. Um, for folks so that you can just click it and go right to this web page we're displaying right now. Um, so awesome, Jonah. Well, thank Excellent. you very Thanks much. Thanks for the plug. Thanks for yeah. the time. Um, you know, like Laura said, we're fans of the podcast for a long time. So it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I also now have to run. Um, so yeah. Well, uh, I've put I've pushed my time <laughs> with my guests. I'm just joking. Uh, so, but folks, I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.